The following message is from Temple Bible Church. For more information about the church and its ministries, visit www.templebiblechurch.org. As the summer begins next week, uh, you heard our kids are promoted to the uh, next grades, and we still have some needs in the areas of children ministry. Many of you have stepped up and are helping in those areas. You can see a lot of numbers scratched off there. We still need a number of you to step up and help in the area of children's ministry. It's a great opportunity for you to serve our little ones and uh, to rock some babies, to care for them, to love on them, and uh, your lives will be impacted more than their lives, I guarantee you, if you give them a summer of your time. So uh, stop at the table in the hallway, or you can email the office, and we'll be glad to include you in that service. Luke chapter 14. If you have your Bibles or your apps, would you open them or turn them on to Luke chapter 14? We had a great family time last week. I appreciate uh, Dave Tate preaching the Word of God last week. Uh, our three oldest grandkids were baptized. It was a glorious time. They all came to know Christ sometime last year, and it was a real celebration for our family as we worship together in College Station. So even in College Station, tremendous things happen, and we're grateful for that. Got a few Aggies out there? Let me hear it. Give me a whoop. There you go. Okay, I knew you were out there. You know, a number of years ago uh, at TBC, we decided we didn't know what uh, God's passion, what his purpose was. And so uh, those of us in leadership uh, invited a prof from Dallas Seminary to come down, Aubrey Malfers, and he helped us uh, over a series of weeks with our leaders, our staff, and our elders to put together a mission statement. This occurred back in the 1980s, and uh, for many years, perhaps you've seen this mission statement in our previous bulletins, Temple Bible Church exists to glorify God through fulfilling the Great Commission by, and we call this the four E's, you can see the first letters of each of these words by evangelizing the lost, establishing the young, equipping the growing, extending the mature. So our desire was to be an evangelizing church, establishing church, equipping church, and extending church, fulfilling the great commission to God's glory. I mean, that's what we have wanted to be about from the time that we got here on. And so this mission statement has existed as part of our uh, desire for many, many years. We planted Grace Bible Church 10 years ago this summer. So in the summer of 2006, we had so many GIs and soldiers driving from uh, Colleen area this way uh, that we decided to uh, begin to pray, would God give us the uh, privilege to plant a church in the Colleen area? And so in the year 2006, we did that. We sent 200 people. We sent a pastor, Dave McMurray, who's still the pastor there, two elders, uh, Michael Neal, Tom Schillingberg, and their families. And uh, we also sent about $100,000 of our correctly, and we had instant church in Colleen. And by God's grace today, as we're meeting, they're meeting there, about 600 people a weekend by God's grace in Colleen, Texas, meeting at Grace Bible Church. To God be the glory, great things he's done. Amen? Amen. And so we honor him and we give him glory for the work that he has done there. And uh, when we decided to plant Grace Bible Church, we had to decide, well, what are the distinctives of Temple Bible Church? What are the distinctives that we want to see reproduce in any church that we might plant here or around the world? So once again, we begin to meet, we begin to pray, we begin to study the scriptures, we begin to read uh, books and uh, other churches and what they're doing. And we saw, looking at our body, that these were some of the distinctives of Temple Bible Church that we wanted to see reproduced wherever we would plant a church either here or around the world. And so we saw distinctives here as loving God and loving others. 
Uh, the great commandment, as Jesus talked about with the rich young ruler, relevant expository preaching. Some of you are saying, we'd still like to see relevant expository preaching. I can understand that. Uh, contemporary celebratory worship, the centrality of the word of God. Uh, we weren't going to do group therapy studies. We we're going to have small groups where the word of God was central. Then we said other D- TBC distinctives we want to see reproduced. Uh, we believe in elder rule, the plurality of elders rule the church, uh, global and local outreach. This has gone back 10 years ago. We had all these things in print, an emphasis on making disciples, equipping saints, and also that we wanted our ministry to be grace-based. We didn't want this to be a got-to ministry. We want this to be a want-to ministry. Not we've got to do these things, but we want to do these things because of what Jesus has done for us. And so we don't want to be moralistic. We don't want to be humanitarian. We don't want to be uh, legalistic. We want to say because of what Jesus has done for us, we don't got to do these things. We want to do these things to his glory and to his honor wherever we do them. And so those were the distinctives of Temple Bible Church. Now, we stand on the shoulders of some pioneers. I mean, we have this mission statement, and we have the, these uh, distinctives, and we stand on the shoulders of some pioneers. Back in 1971, a little history of Temple Bible Church. Back in 1971, there were a group of believers in Temple. Now we come from communities throughout Central Texas, but there are a group of believers in Temple who were trusting God to raise up a non-denominational Bible teaching church. They didn't see one in the community, and so they began to pray that God might do that. So they formed a Bible study. And in 1971, they started a church called Bible Chapel, Bible Chapel. From 1971 for the next 10 years, Bible Chapel continued to exist. I wonder if there's anybody here, we had several folks the last two hours, if there's anybody here this hour that was a part of Bible Chapel, 1971 to 81, would you stand? We stand on your shoulders. Anybody here this hour from 71 to 81? The Jezzers are the only ones here this hour, John and Best Jazz. In 1981, by God's grace, uh, we, Bev and I, received a call from uh, the placement office at Dallas Theological Seminary, and they said, there's a group of about 40 or 50 saints meeting in the Carpenters Union Hall in downtown Temple, and they're without a pastor. They've been in existence for 10 years, and uh, they'd remained a, a small body of believers seeking to honor the Lord. Would you and Bev consider coming to Temple, Texas, to at least candidate? And so, uh, two weeks before, or about three weeks before, a good friend of mine had come down here. He had preached. He had hoped they would call him back, but for whatever reason they didn't. But he had planted a seed in my mind. I think the Spirit of God used him. And he said, you know, it's a neat little community. There's not another Bible church in town. It's a growing community. They've got a big hospital and uh, it's a pretty attractive place. About 40,000 folks at that time, about three restaurants at that time. And... uh, (laughs) And so, uh, actually, I, Bev and I were going to come down. Daniel, our son, though, was recovering from spinal meningitis at three months old, and so they couldn't come. So I came alone on that first trip, and uh, I don't know why anybody did it, but they invited me back for a second time. And so, uh, by God's grace, August fifteenth, nineteen eighty-one, Bev and I, at the ripe old age of twenty-six, moved our family to uh, Temple, Texas. And by God's grace and uh, to His glory. Uh, it's been quite a ride. It'll be 35 years this August 15th that God brought us here. And it's amazing to see what God has done through you. Amazing to see. So we begin to, we begin to meet and we're in the Carpenters Union Hall. John and Bess are part of it. I wonder if there's anybody else here who worshiped in the Carpenters Union Hall with us. We were there for the first three years I was here. Anybody else worship in the Carpenters Union Hall? Would you stand up? Anybody in here this hour besides the Jezzes? Nobody else this hour. We had a bunch of the last couple of hours. And so from 1981 to 1984, we worshiped in the Carpenters Union Hall, and then we outgrew that. God began to brought people uh, to 
uh, we changed the name from Bible Chapel to Temple Bible Church, and God began to do a work, and the body began to grow, and uh, so we moved to the Mayburn Center. We didn't move to the main area of the Mayburn Center, uh, but we moved to the side rooms because there were only about a hundred of us that made that trek. And so for the next three years, week after week, we would set up and tear down, set up and tear down every single Sunday morning. We'd arrive, and we had uh, teams of folks that would set up a nursery and set up stuff, and then we would uh, tear it down afterwards. And it was a wonderful time of bonding for a small group of folks that became the core of Temple Bible Church. Anybody here worship in the Mayburn Center with us besides the Jesus? Anybody here this hour? Would you stand? Uh, we got a few folks back over here. The Joneses, Jack, uh, Judge Jack over here and Diane were part of that back in the Mayburn Center days. So we begin to pray, God, would you give us a building? I mean, after three years of setting up and tearing down week after week, our highlight in the Mayburn Center was one Sunday, um, we actually made Time Magazine. It's a great story. There was a marquee outside the Mayburn Center before they had the current electronic marquee. It was one where you posted letters up there. And uh, there was a reporter for Time Magazine traveling from Dallas to Austin uh, to, to meet with somebody. And as he drove by, he saw the marquee. It said, live wrestling, welcome to Temple Bible Church. The night before, there was a wrestling match at, in, in the Mayburn Center, and then we came in on Sunday, and we had to sweep up beer cups and all that stuff to get it out of the way, but it was a great time. We had some great years there, three years there, and then, then, then by God's grace, we moved, into this, we moved to this facility. We began to pray that God might give us a building, give us some land to build upon. And so we found this piece of land. At that time, we currently have about 11 acres. We only had three acres, a strip about the size of this building that went back to the creek. And uh, we were getting ready to, 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 to build. We needed, I'll never forget this, we needed $100,000 in the bank because our philosophy is we want half the money in hand before we start any type of construction. And so we needed $100,000 in the bank to buy the property, actually, and then we could begin raising money for the building. And uh, during that time, we had $90,000 in the hand. We're $10,000 short. It would usually take about a month, maybe two months to raise that amount of money. We need about that much every month to operate now, about 100000 per week, I'm sorry, to operate. And uh, so we began to pray. We had $90,000. God was raising money for us through you just the way we do here. It's not a big deal. We just say, hey, if you worship here, you're going to be generous with, with uh, what God has done for you. And so we need $10,000 more. We can buy this property that we now sit on and we can build a building. Well, we're 10000 short. And during that time, we had a faithful couple here. Debbie Warner played the piano for us. And uh, and we were a strange church at the time. We were the church that, uh, that first had guitars and worship, and we sang off the wall. I went to get a haircut. I used to have hair a long time ago. And I sat in the barber shop, and uh, the lady said, you're the pastor of the church that sings off the wall. What happened is, we, we were first church around. We had an overhead projector with acetate, and we didn't have hymnals, so we sang off the wall. And so our reputation in Temple was a church that sang off the wall, and we still do, I guess. So that's the way it was. So we've got this 90000 in the bank. And uh, Dave and Debbie Warner, part of our body, he was a pilot for uh, Drayton and McLean Company at that time. Good, faithful man, was one of our deacons, strapping guy, about 6'3", uh, really in great shape. He had built his own airplane. For those of you into that, he built a glass air and took me up one time. And uh, I mean, we're doing rolls and we're doing corkscrew things and all this stuff. And we're still here to talk about it, by God's grace, once again. And... Uh, he took this job with a company in Indianapolis to fly their Learjets, and uh, he, he resigned from McLean Corporation, and uh, there was a lapse in time before the hiring actually took place. Something happened. I can't remember everything. 
but he lost his insurance. And so he's six weeks out from a clean corporation, hadn't started the new job, and he has a grand mal seizure. And uh, very long story short, he ends up with a geoblastoma, a very aggressive brain tumor. Uh, the docs had Scott and White said he needs surgery immediately. And so we called an emergency meeting of our elders and deacons, and we said, you know, we've always been about people, not about buildings and programs. And so they couldn't afford the surgery. At that time, literally, you get a brain surgery to remove a tumor. They told us total cost would be 12000 Uh You can't even get an aspirin for that right now. So, <laughs> so that was the total thing. So we came to the body and said, we feel like God is leading us to do this. We always want to be about our people, want to be about that. These are, this is a faithful couple. Uh, they're not fly-by-nighters coming in trying to, you know, bilk us or anything else. So uh, we decided that night we would give them whatever money they needed. It might put the building on hold for a few weeks or a few months, but that didn't matter. So we came to the congregation, probably about, I don't know, 150 people at that time, and said, this is what we feel led to do. Would you support us in that? Everybody agreed we want to do that. And within the next four weeks, we picked up over $20,000. It was amazing. I mean, this is a small group of folks. That's when $20,000 was an awful lot of money. If you could have brain surgery for 12000 that was a lot of money. And... Uh, we got checks as far away from Colorado. There was a couple in our church at that time. He was a military guy whose parents lived in Colorado. He told, they told the story to their church about this little church in Temple wanted to build a building. There are nomads, you know, in all these places. And, and uh, so that church heard our story. They took up a collection and sent $2,500 to us. Uh, Drayton was a big help as well as McLean Corp and other things. And Dave had a surgery. Um, he eventually lost his life at age 29. And uh, many, many years ago. But that set the pattern for what TBC is to be about. That's what we want to be about. Loving God and loving people. And so hopefully we established that pattern a long time ago that this is what we wanted to be about and this is what we wanted to do. And so uh, that, those were our distinctives. This is what the land looked like before we built our first building. The first building was back over there. It's where our nursery is and where these adult classrooms are. I wonder how many of you worshipped with us in that building? Would you stand? If you worshipped in that building back over there when we faced about three different directions, would you stand so we can see here? We stand on the shoulders of these people as well. Take a look and let's thank God for each of them for over the years that they were faithful. Uh, so God continued to work. We added on our administrative building and we added on classrooms over there for kids because God has always given us kids. We've been blessed with kids. Uh, this, is what, this was state-of-the-art nursery stuff back then. It's like putting kids in prison. We'd be sued for that right now. <laughs> I mean, look at that. It's, it's, a, it's like caging an animal, but that was state-of-the-art stuff back then. And, and so we had that and we did that. And God has always given us kids. I mean, if you were with us on Mother's Day, we dedicated 32 babies to the glory of God and their families. If you were with us last week, we had over 40 high school seniors graduating. And God has always blessed us. In fact, we did a survey back in the spring. We'll be giving you results of that over the summer. But one of the things that we saw in that survey is... 25% of you are 60 or older of us, I should say. 25% of us are 60 older. 20% of us are 29 and under. And so uh, by God's grace, he's given us a lot of diversity and we're a very balanced body. I mean, take a look around. We're not young. We're not old. We're a little bit of everything. We are red, white, and yellow. And uh, we pray that God continues to do that to his glory as we continue to grow. So in the year 2002, we dedicated this facility to the glory of God. We had a great time. It was a great day, and we honored Christ with our lives. 
lives. And you can look there and see that uh, we're packed out that day. And uh, we started with two services. We now have three. Our peak attendance was two years ago. Uh, God has brought online other churches in our community doing a great job. Vista with Dave Jeffries, First Baptist with Ronnie Marriott, uh, Bethel with Ellen Johnson, David Rapp at Redeemer Presbyterian Meeting in the CAC, and uh, Scott Myers at Western Hills Church of Christ. I started calling a meeting with those five colleagues in ministry. The six of us have lunch together about once a quarter, and uh, we are allies against the same enemy, and it's neat to see God raising up his kingdom instead of a kingdom. For years, TBC was the growing church in our community, and uh, by God's grace, there are other churches doing well. We peaked at about 3,100 per weekend uh, two years ago. We now have about 27, 2,800 a weekend, but these other churches are doing well and thriving, and so we've got some seats we can fill. You can take a look around, especially in the summer months, but we say to God be the glory because he's, his, the, the kingdom is growing in our community, and we're grateful for that. Amen? Amen. That's what we want to be about. We want to be about kingdom business. So then we have to ask, so what are we about? We're at the core of who we are. What are we going to do? So if you look in the bulletin you have in your hands, you're going to see a little circle. Every week that circle is in there. And so the elders and staff begin to wrestle. Well, we have a mission statement. We know what our distinctives are, but what is at the core of who we are? And if you look there, you'll see three words. You'll see the word surrender. Then you'll see the word community. And then you will see the word mission. We want to personally surrender our lives to Jesus every day. We want to do it one time for salvation, and every single day after that, we want to walk with him. After that, we want to be an authentic biblical community. We want to have authentic biblical communities cropping up all around us for you to the glory of God. And thirdly, we want to live our lives on mission. So the three questions we ask of ourselves are these. You can see them on the screen in front of you. Are you surrendering your life daily to Christ? Secondly, are you living an authentic biblical community, or are you trying to live the spiritual life alone? And thirdly, are you living on mission or are you living sacrificially? So that's where we're going to go to Luke 14 because I find these three things, personal surrender, authentic biblical community, living a sacrificial missional life are not what we are prone to do. We tend to live for ourselves. But God has called us to live otherworldly, to live according to his kingdom. And so that's what I want to talk about in the time we have left this morning. The first thing we are called to do is to surrender our lives to Christ. If you don't know Jesus as your Savior, I want to start there. If, if there's any question in your mind, this whole journey begins when you personally trust Christ your Savior. Personal surrender happens the first time when you, when you are given the gift of salvation. <clears throat> By God's grace, when he called you to himself, woos you to himself, and you experience salvation as personal surrender. But every day after that, he desires for us to surrender our lives to him. By, by his, by, through the power of his spirit and by his grace, we can live authentic li- authentic, in authentic biblical community, missional sacrificial lives if we find ourselves surrendering to him daily. So Luke 14, 25, great multitudes were going along with Jesus and he turned and he said to them, so let me create the scenario for you. There, there are a bunch of people following Jesus around and Jesus has curious followers and he's going to speak to those followers. Now, when Jesus speaks to those followers, what he tells them is, if you will follow after me, your life will be easy, you will have no pain, you will have no trials, and you will not have to sacrifice anything. How many of you believe that? (laughs) I I mean, that's not what Jesus did. They're following Jesus, they're curious. Who is this man performing miracles? Who is this man calling out the religious establishment? Who is this man that preaches with power? They want to know those things. 
So Jesus doesn't tell him, hey, if you want to be my follower, by the way, the Greek word disciple, methetes, literally means follower. If you want to be my follower, he doesn't say there's not going to be pain, no sacrifice, and everything's going to be easy. He says just the opposite. In fact, F.F. Bruce, a great scholar, wrote a book called The Hard Sayings of Jesus. He includes Luke 14 in that. And this is what he says. Look up here on the screen with me. If anyone comes to me and does not hate his own father and mother and wife and children and brothers and sisters and even his own life, he can't be my disciple. And some of you say, man, you know, to hate father, mother, wife, children, brothers, sisters. I've been looking for that verse. I, I can do that. That's not too hard right there. If you knew my family, Gary, I, that would be pretty easy. But, but what does he mean? I mean, because Jesus says you've got to love your neighbor, you've got to love your enemy, you've got to love everybody. And so and then he says, uh, by the way, if you don't hate your own life, you can't be my disciple. See, in comparison to our love for Jesus, our love for other people pales in comparison. See, compared to our love for Christ, our love for a wife, for a husband, for a mom or dad or kids or brothers or sisters should pale in comparison. Even the love we have for ourselves should pale in comparison. Jesus is saying, if you really love me, if you really seek after me, if you really want to be my disciple, if you really want to do that, if, if you're going to live this want-to Christianity and not got-to Christianity, you're going to love me deeply. You see, when you come to know Christ as Savior, the desire of your heart should be to worship him, adore him, to serve him, and to love him. And so you want to. It's not that you've got to. That's grace. That's grace. And then Jesus goes on and he says, uh, whoever does not pick up his cross and follow after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever does not carry his cross and come after me. The cross is an instrument of torture, an instrument of death. Basically, it's death to your personal pursuits and desires to follow after the Savior. You're going to do what I want you to do, not what you want to do. And, and then he says, then none of you can be my disciples and not give up his own possessions. I'm looking for a loophole in that verse, by the way. And he didn't say some of your possessions. He says, what? In the Greek word for all means 10%. Right? I mean, it's a song we sing. I surrender 10%. I surrender 10%. All to Jesus. I surrender 10%. Isn't that what the hymn says? 10% my blessed Savior, 10% I give to you. See, what Jesus wants to do is live our lives like this with our hands wide open, wide open the entire time so that everything, he didn't want some of you, he didn't want part of you, he wants all of you. Everything you are and everything you have should be his. There's a, oh, here we go, before, let me set that up. Uh, so the question is, what does this kind of love look like? Uh, here's how one kid describes it. Uh, what does love look like? Love is when a girl puts on perfume, a boy puts on shaving clone, they go out and smell one another. <laughs> Trying to find what love is. Uh, what is love? Love is when you go out to eat and give somebody most of your french fries without making them give you any of theirs. Uh, believe me, that's, I can relate to that one. Uh, when my grandmother got arthritis, she couldn't bend over and paint her toenails anymore, so my grandfather does it for her all the time, even when his hands got arthritis too. That's love. All three hours, all the ladies did the same thing. <laughs> Every, ah. Oh. My wife would not let me paint her toenails no matter what, I'm going to tell you. She would let me pay to have her toenails painted, but she didn't let me do it. Um, I, here's a good one, Heather, age eight. Love is when mommy makes coffee for my daddy and she takes a sip before giving it to him to make sure it tastes okay. <laughs> How come you go, ah, when the women get taken care of, when the guy gets taken care of, you all laugh, every one of you. <laughs> all three hours. 
But here's my favorite. What does this kind of love look like? God could have said magic words to make the nails fall off the cross, but he didn't. That's love. That's love. See, what does this kind of love look like? When Jesus says you've got to love me more than all these others, and Jesus says you have to sacrifice your personal relationships, your pursuits, and your possessions for me, what does that mean? It means we worship him because of who he is, because of what he's done, because of the price that was paid. It's want-to Christianity, not got-to Christianity. I want to do that because of who my Savior is and what he's done and the life he's given me. Amen? Amen. Whoever has my commands and keeps them, he it is who loves me. So it's, it's want-to. It's want-to-do-the-commands-of-Christ. The problem is we're fascinated with ourselves. Larry Crabb, the great psychologist, said, I must surrender my fascination with myself to a more worthy preoccupation with the character and purposes of God. I am not the point he is. Would you read the last line with me out loud? I exist for him. He does not exist for me. Wouldn't it be amazing if we lived that way? Lord, what do you want? How can I serve you? Because of my great love for you, because of the grace you extended to me, I'm your woman, I'm your man. Whatever you want, whatever your desire is, that's what I want. St. Augustine said there can only be two basic loves, the love of God and to the forgetfulness of self, or the love of self and to the forgetfulness and denial of God. You see, when Jesus says you can't be my disciple unless you hate your mother, father, brother, sister, etc., even your own self, even your own self, compared to your love for him. He says, uh, whoever does not pick up his cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. Whoever doesn't give everything to me can't be my disciple. This is a young gentleman named William Borden. Maybe you've heard of Borden milk. Maybe you've heard of Borden ice cream. His parents, his dad was the founder of Borden Industries. He owned dairies. He owned manufacturing plants. He owned uh, pasteurizing uh, plants. And so he was the heir to a huge fortune. When he finished high school, his parents sent him on a around-the-world journey. When he saw what was happening, especially in Africa and Asia, he decided that he would give his life to missions because the gospel had not gone forth at that time. This is 1904. There were not many in Africa, Asia, who heard the gospel of William Borden on this around-the-world trip that his parents sent him on, got a hunger to do missions. And so on this trip, he wrote on the flyleaf of his Bible, no reserves, two words, no reserves. He would not hold anything back. So he set his life to that. He went to Yale University. Upon completing Yale University, his father told him it was time to come in the family business said he wasn't doing it. He desired to go to seminary, so he went to Princeton Seminary so he could prepare for ministry and missions. He graduated from Princeton Seminary. His dad would not give him his, uh, his fortune, and so he wrote in the flyleaf of his Bible, no retreats. The first two words, no reverses. Second two words, no retreats. So he took off for China. He felt called to China. There's a Muslim population in China in the far northeast of China. It still exists today, actually. And so that's where he wanted to go. He stopped over in Egypt. He was going to spend a few months in Egypt with friends, preparing for ministry, recouping from the trip overseas, and then go on to China. While he was in Egypt, he was stricken with cerebral meningitis and died within a month. Many people thought, what a waste. What a waste. On the flyleaf of his Bible, under no reserves and no retreats, the last week of his life, William Borden wrote, 
no regrets. He had given his life to serve the Savior, no matter the cost, no matter the price. And so when Jesus says, if you want to be my disciple, you love me above all. You pursue me and not your own personal stuff first. And you're willing to live your life surrendered with open hands. Then you can be my follower. That stands in stark contrast to the messages many hear today. Most pulpits in America, they're going to preach how you can get healthy, you can get wealthy, you can get wise. I mean, I can almost see the disciples say, Psst, calm it down some. They're all going to leave us. But Jesus is saying, no. Here's a hard saying. You want to follow me? This is the price. The same price William Borden was willing to pay. So we move from that to authentic biblical community, to live in community. Uh, you see, our world understands the need for community. I picked this up at Starbucks a few months back, or actually a few years ago. Uh, if you want to know what the world's thinking, you pick up advertisements. You, you go to places like Starbucks, and uh, you can name all the different uh, places that have tremendous advertising, and they know what people are looking for. They don't build coffee shops. They build a place where you can have community in coffee shops. Because you can stay there, you'll eat more, you'll get more, they'll make more money, and that's how it works. And so this is a little brochure, create community, make a difference in somebody's life. Really, with a cup of coffee? But that's what they're trying to do. I googled up, you can do it, you can do it right now on your phone. You go play in that game for about 30 seconds and Google up building community, okay? You think I don't know what you do on your phone out there? (laughs) He's looking at the Bible and playing games out there. I googled up building community. 1,247,000,000 results. 1,200,000,000 building community under that topic. Our people, the people in our society, our culture, and especially in America, crave community. Somebody else to live life with and do life with. It's, it's biblical. That's what we're to be about. We, we live in a lonely society. Many of you say, I don't know what you're talking about, Gary, because I, I don't have a minute to be lonely, but there are a lot of people that are. In fact, uh, John Wesley said there's nothing more unchristian than a solitary Christian. He's right. Mother Teresa said the biggest disease today is not leprosy or tuberculosis, but the feeling of being unwanted, uncared for, deserted by everybody. The greatest evil is lack of love. Harvard Medical School professor. America's a wired community connected electronically and economically, but not personally or spiritually. This week, every time I went to eat or every time I went out in the community, I I decided to take note of things. I decided to see who was talking to one another and who was on their phone. Take take a look today. If you go out to eat the next couple of days, take a look at it. On Friday, I sat down at a restaurant. There was a table next to me with five people and a mom and dad and three kids, I'm assuming that's what it looked like. All five of them on telephones. Not a word being exchanged among them, all five of them on telephone, probably texting one another, sitting right there at the table. <laughs> but, but I mean, that, that's, that's what I watched for a few minutes. And every place I went this week, I mean, it, it made me highly conscious of what was going on. And the reality of it is we are connected, but we're disconnected. I mean, it's amazing. We're more connected than ever, more disconnected than ever. We dial up, hook up, log on, but we don't really connect. We seek other ways to fill the hollow feeling inside. We turn to TV, alcohol, sports, hobbies, drugs, push our 50-hour work week to 60 or 65, anything to numb the pain of loneliness. But it doesn't work, does it? The results prove temporary and shallow. Like a dark shadow, loneliness follows us. 
You ever been in a crowd and felt lonely? Church is hard for some folks. Come alone, leave alone. It's a tough place. Max Licato says, loneliness is not the absence of faces, it's the absence of intimacy. Loneliness doesn't come from being alone, it comes from feeling alone. One of the things we want to do at TBC is hopefully have you live an authentic biblical community with others. If you don't have a community of believers, you can walk out in the hallway, there's a rack and it's got a purple sheet that looks like this. And uh, it says, uh, experience community at TBC and we will help you find a place to experience community. Jesus said a new command I give to you, love one another, love as I've loved you, so you must love one another. By this, everyone will know you're my disciples if you love one another. I asked myself this week, what are some of the barriers to community? Busyness is a barrier. Value is a barrier. We don't value it. Fear is a barrier. I don't want to be in a small group that might ask me questions. They might get too personal, etc. And porcupines are barriers. Uh, Gary, what do you mean by that? You ever meet another person that's a porcupine? Uh, you know what I'm talking about. I, I did a little research on porcupines this week. I, I'd never done research on porcupines before, to be honest with you, so I did a little research. Um, the, the North American common porcupine is a member of the rodent family. I didn't know that. It's a big rat with about 30,000 quills attached to its body. And uh, these quills can be driven into an enemy. The enemy's body heat will cause microscopic barb to expand and become firmly embedded. The wounds can fester. They become more dangerous. And they can actually affect vital organs and be fatal to their attacker. Porcupines are not considered lovable animals. Amen to that. How many of you have ever had a pet porcupine? Let me see your hands. How many of you ever tried to pet a porcupine? Let me see the quills in your hands. If you did, you probably look like this poor dog right here, or maybe this poor dog right here. I mean, that hurts, doesn't it? I mean, I go, oh, just from looking at that. And uh, that's what we recognize. Porcupines, you know, we have gaggle of geese. We have a pride of lions. We have a flock of goats. We have a herd of cattle. Uh, You don't have multiple porcupines. They live alone. Always. They they travel alone, they live alone. Uh, Love calls in the uh, late part of autumn. And even when love calls, they've got to be very careful. And they're only together for a short time, and then they go their own separate way because they're porcupines. Porcupines uh, have two ways of relating withdrawal and attack. Enemy comes, they withdraw, or else they attack with their quills. This author says the porcupine dilemma is how do you get close without getting hurt? John Ortberg wrote this. He said the same dilemma in the spiritual life and relationships. How do you get close without getting hurt? Because too many of us have been hurt by porcupine Christians who've condemned us, judged us, rejected us, hurt us, didn't invite us, etc. Porcupine Christians. And then uh, in Acts 2, we see that the way the church had authentic biblical community, they devoted themselves daily to the apostles' teaching, fellowship, breaking of bread, and prayer. And finally, we believe we are all called to live sacrificially on a mission together. We're to live in biblical community on mission together. I started thinking about that. So how do we do that at TBC? Worship team, would you guys join me? I started thinking about a number of ways that we do that, a number of ways that we seek to live 
on mission. This past year, we found out that there was a need at Meredith Elementary School over on the east side. My kids went to elementary school there. And uh, they needed some kind of after-school day program. So Tim Cartwright, our pastor of local outreach, uh, put together a deal. We call it Call to Play. And some of our folks go to Meredith on the east side of town once a week, or is that right, Tim, once a week, I think? And, and they go there, and they play games with the kids in the afternoon, and then we have the opportunity to share the gospel. Uh, a number of years ago, when we were doing impact, we began to go to some apartments in the Canyon Creek area, Canyon Creek and 31st Street, and we did clubs there. And when impact was over, the kids living in those apartments said, you're going to leave us, Neil? And some of our youth decided they weren't going to leave them. So for six years now, I think it's six years, every week, young people from TBC go to that apartment complex and have a Bible club. To God, you need to clap for those kids. I, I, I can... I, I, I can. I can barely get through saying that, guys. They did that on their own, and they still do it on their own. I mean, we have some adults that go just for protection and supervise, but high school kids and junior high say, hey, we're going to go and serve every week. And then it's amazing what God has done. There's a community of believers here this hour who believe that it's important to reach out to other folks cross-culturally. So interspersed with you right now, you'll see some folks with headphones. And it's because right now, in the sound booth in the back area, as I'm speaking, it's being simultaneously translated into Spanish. And Sissy came to me in between hours and said, Pastor Gary, she didn't know I was even going to say this today. She said, Pastor Gary, we're out of headphones. We have a dozen, ten headphones, and they're all gone. Can, can you buy some more headphones? I'll buy them personally if I have to. I mean, TBC can afford it, but... You see, we want to see Spanish speakers reach for Christ. The only way it's going to happen to some folks is if they can be translated for us. So if you've got Spanish-speaking sons and daughters and moms and dads, bring them third-hour TBC, pick up headphones at that door. They can listen to everything being translated simultaneously. And that happened because folks had a heart for that. There's a Spanish-speaking small group offered every week. A community of men in our church love to fish together. Some do archery together. So they have started ministries to do that. Uh, so that the youth in our church up here with impact, over a thousand folks will hear the gospel sometime in June. Uh, Judge Van Orden, sing over here. Charlie, raise your hand. Uh, if you had the opportunity to ask Judge Van Orden who goes to his court, a lot of people go to his court for fostering, for being CASA supported. Uh, I don't know, dozens from TBC is what you've told me. I mean, over and over, folks from TBC come alongside to help and do it. We believe kids should not be fatherless, so we adopt and we foster. We believe in life, and so we support Hope Pregnancy Center. Many of us have volunteered there. I've been on the advisory board for 20-plus years. We're a community that wants to reach the hurting, and so we do celebrate recovery every single week right here. You can come on Tuesday nights right here. If you've got issues with habits, hang-ups, and hurts in the past, and we're going to give you a meal, and uh, then you'll be part of a group, and we're going to minister to you, 75 to 100 folks every week. It's a great story that a lot of them don't come to TBC. So I don't know, six months, a year ago, I, it was a Tuesday night. I was in a hurry. We served meals. So that night we had pizza. Normally it's a cook's meal, but that night was pizza. I'm in a hurry. So the boxes weren't open yet. I ripped up a box. I grabbed two slices of pizza, put on a napkin, get ready to walk out. And there's a guy standing there who obviously didn't know me. And uh, he looks at me, getting ready to take a bite of pizza. And he says, who the H-E-L-L do you think you are? <laughs> I said, I'm sorry. I'm just the pastor of the church here, man. But... 
I understand I should ask permission. So if I ever snag anything, I ask permission before I do it now. Donna Dunn's sitting right there. I mean, we've got folks, Mary Anderson was sitting back there. These ladies lead ministries in our community, uh, helping hands, body of Christ, church. uh, We've got hundreds of folks that prepare meals for churches, touching lives for Christ. Next week, you'll do the drop. We believe that uh, people behind the walls in prison can be redeemed. So sitting over here is Linda Strom. Linda, raise your hand. Dennis and Ruth ready next to her. They lead ministries and go into prison week after week after week after week. Dozens of TBCers are part of that ministry, and we believe God can redeem people behind the walls. You can go see Linda. She'll be sitting right there, standing right there afterwards. We believe good deeds that honor Jesus are worthy, so we do an annual blood drive. We do Project Angel Tree. We do Christmas in July. We do Backpack Buddies because we believe Jesus can be represented through our generosity. We believe that the nations need to hear the gospel. And so there are 30-plus families in 19 nations supported by you and your generosity amazing. Out of a small town in Temple, Texas, a small body of believers that God has multiplied, these things happen. And we say to God be the glory, great things he's done, because our desire is to know God's passion and make that our purpose. That's what we want to be about. Carol Kent wrote a book when I laid my Isaac down. She was a Christian author, husband was a pastor. They only had one child. He was a child prodigy, a bright young man, star athlete, president of a senior class, received an appointment to the Naval Academy, becomes a commissioned naval officer. He's in the Navy for a couple of years. He meets a lady, marries her. The lady has two children from a previous marriage. They're living in Panama City, Florida, where he's a naval officer. He finds out that the father of the two kids, the two girls, is molesting them. And I'm not sure all that happened and went through his mind, but he snapped. And he got in his car and drove from Panama City, Florida to Orlando, Florida, stalked the man and murdered him. In the book, Carol Kent says, he was my Isaac. See, Abraham was told to take Isaac and to offer him as a sacrifice and give your very best. And Carol Kent said he was my Isaac. Actually, he was my idol. And she came to a point in her life, she said, when we received that phone call, all I can remember is crawling. It was 2.43 in the morning. I looked it up this morning. I received the phone call at 2.43. I knew something terrible had happened to our son. All I remember after hearing what had happened was crawling on my knees to the toilet to throw up. That's all I remember. He now has a life sentence with, with no opportunity for parole. He's guilty. He knew he was guilty. And in this book, Carol Kent says, what is the idol in your life that you need to surrender? What is it? What is it that you need to hold your hands like this and say, God, it's yours? My family, my job, my checkbook. What do you need to say, God, I surrender all. I surrender all. All to Jesus. I surrender. I surrender all. Let's stand together. I'm going to ask you to make this your prayer. And on the final verse, if you're willing to surrender all, this is a sign of surrender. It's open hands. And so in the last verse, if you're going to surrender all, you stand right where you are and you offer open hands to your God as we worship.